This is PhotoBizX episode number 451 and today we are talking with a photographer who specializes in large-scale personal projects which she is utilizing to get known in her local community to shine the light on people, things and situations that she's passionate about and she gets to piggyback the success of her own business on these personal projects. A special guest is Michelle Tricker and that interview is coming up in just a minute. Are you planning to have a successful wedding and portrait photography business? Join Andrew as he interviews successful photographers and business experts to fast track your success. Welcome to the Photo Biz Exposed podcast with your host, Andrew Helmich. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here from Impact Images and welcome to this episode of the podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we get into today's interview with Michelle Tricker, which I am sure you are going to love, particularly if you love the idea of shooting for yourself, the idea of creating personal projects on a large scale that you may not have even considered is possible, and at the same time, growing your photography business. Now, in regards to housekeeping, I did say in last week's episode that I'd be releasing an episode featuring the coaching diarists from last year. I didn't have a chance to get that out last week, so that will be coming out this week or next Monday as a regular episode. So look out for that one. It is still in the works and coming to you, I promise. And talking about last week, if you didn't catch last week's interview with Chelsea Smith, make sure you get back and have a look at that one. If you're looking to build a community around your photography business where you can generate leads and bookings via Facebook group. Chelsea's doing exactly that. She shares how she's doing it, the type of content that she's utilizing in the groups, how she's feeding the group, always bringing in new members by running competitions and giveaways. There really were a ton of takeaways from Chelsea in last week's episode. And in fact, one of our premium members, Clark Scott, listened to that interview, implemented what Chelsea talked about, started a Facebook group, and has already generated two bookings from his Facebook group for his photography business, which is just fantastic. In other news, the daily vlog challenge is kicking off today. It's not too late to get involved. If you want more details about how to utilize video in your photography business, this is the perfect challenge. I will help you become more comfortable being yourself. You do not need to be a big personality. I'm going to show you how you can be yourself, connect with your ideal clients and utilize video for your marketing, for your advertising, for your lead generation, for connecting with potential clients. And we do this in step-by-step format over a three-week period. It's super fun. It's easy. Lots and lots of members and photographers have been through this challenge. It's only a very small group this time. I think it's around 10 photographers. So again, if you want to get involved, today is the day to do that head over to dailyvlogchallenge.com for more details on that. And you can get started with video today. You're listening to Photo Biz Exposed with your host, Andrew Helmich. Just before we get into this interview with Michelle, if you are hearing this announcement, it does mean you are listening to the free version of the podcast. Now, all that means is you won't hear the full interview today with Michelle. I am saving a portion of the second half of premium members only. But the good news is, if you are not a premium member, you can access the full interview today with Michelle with a $1 30-day trial membership. And you can head over to photobizx.com forward slash try for more details on that $1 membership. Sign up for that, get access, full access to the premium content for the next 30 days, including the full interview today with Michelle Tricker. 
Welcome to another great time for business. It's time for Andrew's special guest. Today's guest was introduced to me by PhotoBizX member Kristen Rutowski, who said in her email to me, I just learned about Michelle Tricker and her projects and was immediately in awe. Michelle's projects are different from the normal portrait book projects I've heard about on the podcast. She's not making money directly from these projects, but there's a tangential benefit she's seen in her business as a result. The face of Imakali, one of Michelle's projects, gives a presence to the immigrant farmer population in Florida, and she's working on the fundraising for that project now. Her latest project, Florida Cowboys, has been shown around the US, and she uses that to help fundraise for her other project. These projects are how she uses her business for philanthropy. Talking about sending press releases and reaching out to the press with Michelle will be really helpful for any listener keen to pursue personal projects. So following that intro from Kristen, I reached out to Michelle, who is a portrait and lifestyle photographer based in Naples, who also shoots these projects. And I'm happy to say that she's with us right now. Michelle, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I guess first up, do you see yourself as a photographer or an artist? Interesting you ask that. As far as defining oneself, I would say I have an artist spirit. So I'm an artist. Photography is my medium. And truth be known, I have no other artistic skills. I am a photographer and it begins and ends at that. So I'm a photographer, but I'm, I'm an artist. So having the business side of your business, like is that a struggle or is it something that comes naturally to you as well? The business aspect was a struggle for a while. Things are good now. I have had to hone being a business person and my sales skills. And that, like all artists and everyone starts somewhere, what has been a work in progress and I'm comfortable with it and constantly evolving and constantly learning. But I feel I'm an artist first and a business person second. But that is an absolutely crucial element of being a professional photographer is the business and sales aspect if you want to sustain a life and a lifestyle with it. I totally agree. I totally agree. So Michelle, look, I was reading a little bit, doing some research on you and your work before we started recording. Now you haven't just started in photography. You've been around for a while, haven't you? That's my, that's my, that's my discreet way of asking how old you are. <laughs> I am 52 years old and yes, I have been going at it professionally for 30 years. Wow. Okay. So have you always had your own business and had to generate money from photography, you know, directly with clients or have you been paid to shoot? Are you talking about being a freelancer as opposed to being a staffer somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I had the impression when I was reading about your history that, you know, you had jobs as a photographer. You haven't always had to rely on, you know, making sales and building a business of generating an income from clients directly. Is that right? So I have always been a freelance photographer since I graduated college. It's always been innate to me going from freelance job to freelance job. One of the reasons I was comfortable with it is because I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. And I saw that when I was beginning high school, my dad had gotten laid off from a corporate job and he spent a few days figuring out what he was going to do. And he started a business. And so I was brought up with that, with the entrepreneurial way of life. So to answer your question, I have worked for other people for magazines and commercial work and such, but it's always been freelance gigs. 
I haven't been specifically on staff and committed to one particular employer. It's always been a series of freelance jobs and I wouldn't have it any other way. Got it. So when you say freelance, is that, you know, like a contracted job for say a newspaper or a magazine or an editorial job for someone else? Or is that going out there, finding your own clients and you know, selling your photography to them? So it's being an independent contractor and being able to pick and choose what sort of jobs you want for whom you work and taking jobs on your own terms. So can you give me an example of one of these jobs? Okay. I'm just going to say, being that I've been shooting for 30 years, I started out in film photography long before we knew the word pixel. And my jobs would be starting out after graduating college, I moved to California. I would get hired by a surf company to photograph their team riders to do portraits or a model management agency to develop portfolios. I worked for the Cape Cod News when I graduated from college. I worked for the Newport News newspaper when I moved out to California after college. So it was constant jobs, different jobs. Some were long-term, some were short-term, but they were constantly evolving. And the beauty of that is, you know, being the poster child for attention deficit disorder, it kind of fits with what I do with being an artist. There's always something different to engage in, to look forward to new images to make. I was also shooting film at the time. So the process of working was different. It was, I I actually enjoyed it a lot more being a film photographer because you do your work, you direct, you bring your film to the lab and you get on to the next job. And, you know, now we are the labs ourselves. So now that most people are shooting film in their commercial work, my jobs consist of shooting for different clients for magazines will hire me for editorial photography, or I'll do a commercial shoot for a business or headshots. It's always revolving around portrait photography. I'm then spending a lot of time editing and I need to sort that into the factor of cost and such. Got it. Okay. So how did you end up in Naples, Florida? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Do you have a few hours? (laughs) So I'll give you the condensed version. I was living in Southern California right after college and I was there for five years. I got into a car crash when I was 24 years old. It was a a near-death car crash, actually. I broke a lot of bones in my body and had major reconstructive surgery, went through six months of rehabilitation to regain use of my arm and leg. I was on life support for a collapsed lung. That was a massive spiritual awakening for me. I thought if I had to add it all up with this week being the last week of my life, would I be satisfied? So I began my bucket list. And the first thing I did was I went on an African safari when I healed and I was able to walk again. But then I moved out to Hawaii and when I was 20 years old, because that was on my bucket list to live on Gilligan's Island. Being in Hawaii, I ended up working in the surf industry. I worked in media for the Triple Crown of Surfing and did a lot of portraits of surfers and such. And I shot editorial for some of the local and international magazines, and I shot beach weddings. I was there for seven years, moved back to San Diego to work for a snowboard magazine. I left that job after a year to start a t-shirt line based on my photographs. My nickname is Mo. So my friends call me Mo T. So my best friend was like, you should call your t-shirt line Mo T's. So there it was the birth of Mo T's. It was a t-shirt line 
based on my photographs. And this was right before the massive real estate bubble in the U.S. broke. They were basically giving out credit cards to live off of. So I quit my job. I was living off of three credit cards, charging my business expenses, charging my rent, charging my car payment, naively thinking when my t-shirt line launched, I would pay it all off and be, you know, bustling with my boutique t-shirt line and things would be great. I ended up moving into kind of a Warhol factory situation. So I moved into this 1920 Spanish Villa McMansion with five artist friends who all quit their jobs. I lived with an art director, a creative director, a fashion designer, an industrial designer, and a model. We were all creating art. They were creating clothing lines. I was doing photography for them. The art director and creative director were doing my lookbook for my t-shirt line. It was amazing. But you're talking six artists living together, artists, not business people. We all ran out of money at the same time. We got evicted. We had a blast. I mean, the memories will be with me till the day I die. We had a blast, but we got evicted. And that's the long story of how I got to Naples, Florida. The reason I'm in Naples is because my folks had just moved to Naples and they bought an investment condo that they were going to rent out. And they made an intervention call and they said, before you go and live in a cardboard box in the streets of Tijuana, Mexico, why don't you consider coming to Naples? You can, you know, have affordable rent in the investment condo we bought so you get back on your feet. And I was like, thank you so much. I'm not moving to Florida. Everyone's a hundred. I don't play bingo and there's no mountains. No way. Two weeks later, I've got my tail between my legs. I'm driving across the southern route of the United States to move to Florida, depressed the entire way, thinking, what am I doing? But it was basically because I I was stupid. I was living this high life, artist life, not thinking about my finances, charging my rent on credit cards. And I got myself into this mess and I'm going to get myself out. That was in 2005. I came to Naples thinking I'm going to work my butt off, pay off all my credit cards and move back to California. 2005 to 2021. So what is this? I mean, to 2022, this is 16 years. I've been here for 16 years now. (laughs) And I do not regret a thing. I went through a lot of hard times when I moved to Florida because I had to reestablish myself as a photographer, but so many beautiful things have come from it. And what do they say? The, The hard times really build your character. I am so grateful for where I am right now. But the beautiful thing is I do live in one of the country's biggest retirement communities, but guess what? My bread and butter, the majority of my income is multi-generational family portraits. I, around the holidays, am the busiest. Like I work on Thanksgiving Eve, Thanksgiving morning, Thanksgiving night, Christmas Eve, Christmas day, because sometimes families are together one or two days of the year and everyone comes to Naples to visit grandma. and. It's been wonderful for me as far as I got out of debt pretty quickly when I moved here in my portrait business. That's that's how it started evolving with the family portraits. And it, it's expanded to other things, but I think there's a niche for everyone and being in a vacation destination, a year-round vacation destination has been wonderful business-wise. And being in Florida has also helped me develop some impactful personal projects. 
Fantastic. Look, uh, there's so many things I want to ask you, but I have to go back to Gilligan's Island. And for the listener, oh my God. <laughs> the listener who is too young to know, Gilligan's Island had a cult following, like a TV series. <laughs> I don't know, was it in the early 80s maybe? It was the 80s, yes. Uh, yeah, so you have to go back and Google that one if you haven't seen it. But what was it like? Did you, did you actually get to live on Gilligan's Island? In Hawaii? Yeah, did you live there? Well, I mean, I say that metaphorically. I grew up in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I was always freezing cold. So I watched Gilligan's Island, Hawaii Five-0, <laughs> and um, Magnum P.I. So when I went out to Hawaii for the first time, I was like, this is everything I've fantasized about. Crystal clear water, swaying palm trees, coconut stands, like <laughs> bring it. And so I had an opportunity in 1997 to go out there for a few days with a friend from college. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is everything. And because of my car crash and my new lease on life, I literally have been living my bucket list. So good. When you come close to death at such a young age, it's, it's such an epiphany. Anyone who has been there understands and knows. So I just decided I'm, I'm going to move here. And if it doesn't work out, I will move back to California. It's just a philosophy of, I don't want to be on my deathbed and not regret doing something that fills my soul. So that's why I moved to Hawaii. Love it. And yes, it was like living on Gilligan's Island. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, so it sounds to me, and look, I might be totally, totally off the mark here, Michelle, but it sounds like you, know, you do your family portraits, you have your photography business to support the projects that you're most passionate about. Do I have that right or am I off the mark? That you do for the most part. Photography has become such a commodity. And here's the thing. When I went from film to digital, it was such a struggle that year. Just, you know, everything evolved and it was investing in new gear and computers and software. And I was just confused as an artist as a photographer thinking, what is this? Like, I, I wasn't loving it so much anymore. So not exactly, you know, understanding where this career is going to take me. It was like, okay, so now I'm not using film. You take a bunch of digital images and burn a disc and give it to your client. It just wasn't gratifying for me. It was kind of sucking my soul. I got into photography for, I mean, my senior year in college, I spent more time in the dark room than I did, you know, with friends and at frat parties. I loved it so much, developing film, making prints. So it took me a while to get back to print, to providing clients wall art and books and actual prints. I didn't want to be part of the shoot and burn genre of photography. It just wasn't satisfying to me. It wasn't serving me. It wasn't serving my clients. And it took me a while, but now I'm there where I'm offering the full service from photography to actually making prints and wall art and books for families to enjoy and pass down to their kids. So good. So, so business is good there in Florida for you? Yes. Business is good for me here. As I said, the bulk of my business, my bread and butter is family portraiture. And I've also built my editorial clients and commercial work and branding. Fantastic. So, I mean, to give the listener an idea, and so I've got a better understanding, what, six figures, like $100,000 turnover? Is that close to what you're doing? We're heading there. Fantastic. Fantastic. And then having that business, that gives you the freedom then to pursue the projects. Is that right? Absolutely. So, you know, 
being an artist is one thing, as I said, I'm an artist first, a business person second, but you know, I am a hobbyist. Photography is my lifestyle and my soul, but it's also my business and my means of sustaining myself and making a living. So it sounds to me like, you know, the photography business is there to support your projects. I mean, yes, absolutely. So, you know, I shoot, I can pay the bills and having money is freedom. Knowing where, you know, my car payment or this or that is coming from gives me the freedom and the peace of mind to be able to pursue my personal projects. And my personal projects are inspired by the human condition. So I'm also able to use my personal work to empower and recognize other people. And the pressure is off there. These aren't money-making ventures. They're personal projects, humanitarian projects, and I can spend my time and creative energies making work that really comes from the soul, not having to worry about, you know, satisfying a client shot list and such. Sure. I want to dive into your projects, but just so I've got the full picture here and the listener does too, do you set, you know, a revenue target that you have to make to meet your obligations, your financial obligations with the photography business so you can pursue the projects or you just make what you make and you just make do with what you're bringing in? So the simple answer to that question is this. My model for portrait photography, which I said is the bulk of my bread and butter, is my business model is an investment in sentiment. So I'm not booking clients knowing that I have, you know, four $500 portrait shoots this week. I have a booking fee and a prepaid image credit. So there's no limit to what people are getting. And that's also the beauty of getting out of the shoot and burn model. So being able to offer a shoot fee plus a prepaid image credit, that means if a family or a couple or an individual or a senior loves four pictures, then they've prepaid for their four pictures. However, if they're inspired to go for wall art and a coffee table photo book, they can spend There's no limit. So that's been the beauty of having an a la carte print product menu is that I'm typically exceeding what I think I'm going to provide as not only an artist, but I look at myself as a service provider. To give you an example, last month, I got a phone call from a woman who in her mind wanted a picture of she and her husband dressed up in a formal attire with their two dogs who were like their babies. She just wanted a picture. So I went to her house, brought an assistant, set up a couple strobe lights, a black backdrop. They were dressed beautifully in a gown, tuxedo, and their dogs were recently pampered. She wanted one picture. So I went through a shot list. We had a few concepts, but I stayed an extra hour. I had some other ideas that they were open for. And again, in her mind, she thought they were getting one picture. I had them over for their view in order session. They loved so many pictures. They ended up buying an entire custom wall art gallery. Fantastic. Six large framed wall art pieces. And it's important to me to print on archival paper. So I print on archival fine art paper and I use museum glare-free glass and beautiful framing. And it's stuff like that, that really is gratifying to myself, to my client. And I pay the bills. I know I have money in the bank and I can know how much time I can spend on these personal projects because the personal projects are somewhat significant and I kind of go big on them. 
For sure. That sounds amazing. With your personal projects, which I'd love to dive into, those subjects, are they also spending money with you? No. Okay. So- well, you know what? Yes and no. So my humanitarian portrait murals, no. That's the furthest thing from my mind. It's really about using my art as activism. But Florida Cowboys project is kind of a personal project. And yes, I have generated income from that, but I can explain more to you. I've used that to help fund my personal projects. Okay, so let's talk about the two projects that I talked about in the intro. So you've got the face. Is it Imokali? Is it the right way to say it? So Imokali, it's Imokali. Imokali. So you've got the face of Imokali and you've also got the Florida Cowboys project. So how are those two projects different from each other apart from the subjects? Okay, so the face of Immokalee is a portrait installation celebrating the soul of Immokalee. It's basically championing an underserved community with the power of photography. So I live in Collier County, Florida, which is one of the wealthiest zip codes in the United States. And don't read that wrong. I'm still a working stiff myself, but there's a tremendous wealth and privilege in this county. Located in this county, just 40 miles from the coast, is Immokalee. And Immokalee stands for my home. Immokalee is one of the biggest migrant farm worker communities in the United States. And people bring their families here for better life. It's largely made up of Haitian, Mexican, and Guatemalan families. A lot of them are working out in the fields. And when you hear of Collier County. Collier County is promoted as the rich white guy golfer town. These people working out in the fields, I mean, a lot of them can't afford to feed their own families. And it's this community of tremendously beautiful, lovely people, but they're not seen. They're not heard. They're underserved. They're just not recognized. So my artist brain sees blank services as a canvas. And just to back up a bit, in 2011, I did a portrait mural here locally where I live in the Bayshore Arts District called A Face in the Crowd. I partnered with this man who owned a golf cart. It was like a thousand square foot golf cart, one story golf cart repair shop. He let me use his building as my canvas. I wanted to show through portraiture that I just wanted to celebrate human diversity in Naples because it's pitched as the rich white guy golfer town. I invited everyone who wanted to be photographed to be part of this mural. 600 people showed up and there's a picture of and a little bit about this project on my website that you can see. So I photographed everyone who showed up and put them on the side of this building with wheat paste and 11 by 17 inch recycled copy paper. I wanted, you know, the, the rich white golfer guy who owns the $10 million beachfront home next to, you know, the guy who mows his lawn. It was all portraits, no stories, no words, no names and such. That project was up for nine months. And then I had to restore the building to its original Tuscan peach color once it started to deteriorate. I had an agreement with the town. So fast forward to two years ago in Immokalee, I wanted to do a project called, it just came to my head, the face of Immokalee, a portrait installation celebrating the soul of Immokalee. But this time I wanted to go bigger. There's a lot of semi tractor trucks and big industrial packing house walls of the packing houses where they do all the process, all the 
produce and agriculture and such. So I drove around town. I took pictures of these buildings and these massive fences and the big concrete walls in the park and these semi-trucks. And I went to the Community Redevelopment Agency board meeting and I stood up and introduced myself. A lot of them had heard about the portrait mural I had done nine years prior. And I said, I want to do this. I want to do the face of Immokalee and it'll be a celebration of the soul of Immokalee. Thinking that people were just going to, you know, laugh me out of the room. I did get a lot of stares because sometimes it's challenging being the only artist in the room with, you know, the elected officials and such, but they unanimously voted to let me proceed to do this. So let me just ask you a question here, Michelle. So for the listener, I'll have examples of this art installation or the idea in the show notes for today's episode. Okay. But so Michelle, I'm looking at one of the images here of the, these semi-trailers with these giant faces and there's like five faces, you know, along the side of a semi-trailer. So did you take this artist rendition to this meeting to try and get the go-ahead or did you just speak about it without visuals? No, so the artist renditions actually happened after it was approved. So I just brought the pictures of the buildings and I had the picture of the mural that I did nine years prior. Right. And the people had heard about the mural, but I just said, from everything I learned about the mural nine years ago, I want to do this one, but bigger and bolder. One of the things is that, and this leads into my fundraising, the mural I did nine years ago was done with wheat paste and recycled copy paper. There is very little monetary cost, but as you'll see in the picture of a face in the crowd, the mural I did nine years ago, there's a picture of me on the left-hand side. It's nine feet tall by four feet wide, and that's printed on vinyl. It's like, I'm sure in Australia you have car wraps or, you know, the semi-trucks are wrapped with like Coca-Cola ads. Mm -hmm. That's an industrial weatherproof vinyl. And with that comes a significant cost for printing an installation. So the mural I want to do in Immokalee since it's public art, since it'll be displayed outside massively on building walls and trucks and fences, it needs to be printed on that medium and it requires a significant budget. Okay, so when you go to the meeting with this idea, do you actually have a cost that you can share with the people at the meeting? I did not initially when I pitched it. I just said, I just need permission to do this and I'll figure everything else out. Okay, so you weren't expecting them to finance the project. You just wanted the approval to say that if you can raise the money, you can make this happen. Not exactly. I was seeking approval, but I was also hoping under the structure of community revitalization, civic engagement, supporting this underserved community, directing visitor traffic and tourism to Immokalee, that some funding would emerge because the a face in the crowd project I had done won an award for public art from the city of Naples. And when the project got that award, they talked about all these things about how it brought community together and economic revitalization. It brought people down to town. But what I found was that yes, they were supportive, but unfortunately Collier County, Florida is not super supportive with supporting public art. Like they don't exactly get it yet. So I'm pretty much on my own with funding. And from that, some of the people in the meeting said, if you acquire a fiscal sponsor, then you'll have a lot better chances of acquiring funding. So as I said, being a professional photographer and an artist and a business person is a constant learning evolution. I wasn't sure exactly the role of a fiscal sponsor, but I've learned so much. So here's a beautiful thing. I belong to the American Society of Media Photographers. 
And I went to them because they have a foundation, the ASMP Foundation. Their core value is supporting photographers pursuing culturally relevant projects. I went to them and they are now my fiscal sponsor for the project, which means that the project, they're like my umbrella. So people can make tax deductible contributions to the project through the ASMP Foundation. So that has helped me with funding. And then I'm also applying for grants and such for the funding. Okay. So just hang on a second here. So is the reason you have the ASMP there, is that so that when someone makes a a donation, if you want to call it that, they can see that it's a legitimate project. It's not going, it's not going to Michelle Tricker's bank account. Exactly. So having a fiscal sponsor is like, it's basically having a 501c3. I don't know if you have that in Australia. No, but that's something for tax, is it, or accounting? So the 501c3 is basically a foundation, like a, a nonprofit. It's a nonprofit foundation. Okay. So my project is basically a nonprofit. It's a humanitarian portrait mural. It's a massive art project, but it's also civic because it's a collaboration with myself. I just see myself as a conduit to making this massive public art installation that I feel has universal and worldly appeal. And yeah, so it's like a nonprofit public art installation and having a foundation gives people the means to make tax deductible contributions in the spirit of art. Got it. Okay, let me take you back to that meeting. So if you're going in there selling the idea to these, are they counselors? Is that who you're talking to? So it's that the community redevelopment agency, it's like the commissioners and, you know, the people on the board and people from many aspects of business and such that make up the board that make decisions on funding and community projects and such. Okay. So when you go to them with this idea for the face of Immokalee, had you already been to the people, you know, that you were intending to photograph in their community in Immokalee to check that they were happy to go ahead with this project? But you must surely you talk to them first. So there is an organization in Immokalee called the Immokalee Foundation for which I am a mentor. The Immokalee Foundation is a foundation that their core value is helping to break the cycle of poverty. There's a 60-6-0. There's a 60% high school dropout rate because a lot of these kids will follow in their parents' footsteps, dropping out of school to work in the field. And the Immokalee Foundation gives kids a means to get a scholarship to college and a mentor and structure to pursue their education. So as a mentor, I mentor high school kids who are going through the program and I check in with them. I talk to them about their grades, about school, about life. And when they graduate, they usually end up going to their first choice colleges on a full scholarship. So that's how I really got involved with Immokalee and the people. And yes, it was something that I talked about initially with people that I knew and everyone was enthusiastic about me going forward with trying to make it happen. Because another thing is, as I said, my artist brain sees massive surfaces as a canvas and this County is so full of homogenized walls. There's not a lot of public art and murals and such here. And it's such a beautiful, vibrant, colorful town. And I just felt like we need something. If I was a painter, I'd get up on a ladder and paint a mural, but as photography being my only skill, and my only means to convey the beauty of the town, then 
I need to do it with portraits. And because there's a medium between myself and showing my work, it's the cost of the printing and installation that is the cause for the fundraising. Love it. I love it. So, okay, this all makes total sense. So you run it by the foundation of Immokalee. They love the idea. You put it to, uh, let's say, the councillors, for want of a better term. They like the idea. You get the ASMP on board so people can start donating if they want to support the exhibition or the project. So is that the next step? So once you've got all the, the boxes ticked, it's a matter of raising the money to finance the project. So how do you go about that? So I got the fiscal sponsorship. And I've never had to officially fundraise. I'm not good at asking for money. So one of the things that's given me the motivation and the fire is that though I am raising money, it's not for myself. It's not like I'm asking for hundreds of thousands of dollars to put my own photographs on display. It's to champion a community. So I'm doing it for something so beyond myself. So that's what's helped me that's what's really given me motivation to seek and acquire funding. So I, I was putting the word out to people. I've done several things to obtain funding. Some of the things were this. So when I first got the fiscal sponsor, I would do things like, you know, a lot of people are starting small businesses. And as a photographer, I, you know, I judge, I judge portraits. I judge business portraits. As photographers, we judge other portraits. And I would see, you know, some of my, retiree neighbors and friends who were starting businesses and would have, you know, a quote professional portrait on their website, but it would be like a badly lit photo under an overhead fluorescent light with, you know, bad shadows and you could see a person cut out on the side. And I would contact them and just ask them to come over and say, it's my professional and just friendly obligation to update your business portrait. I didn't ask them to hire me. I wasn't asking them to sell. I wasn't trying to sell anything. But most often, pretty much every time, they would love their photo and just say, what what can I do for you? What can I pay you? And I would say, you don't need to pay me, but I will gladly accept a tax deductible contribution to the Immokalee Project. So that's how I started raising money. Wow. And then um, there's a foundation here called the Glitter Foundation, and their core value is supporting children and art, education, and Collier County they have a junior board of directors and some of the kids on their junior board of directors, I hire as my photo assistants for commercial and family portrait jobs. This summer, unbeknownst to me, they put together a fundraiser concert, an art show for my project. They basically called me and they were like, we're already in the works. You're the beneficiary. So it's already happening. So save the date. So they put on this concert this summer and all proceeds. They wrote a check to the Immokalee Project. I applied for a grant. I've never applied for a grant before. I spent 47 hours in June of this summer, this past summer, applying for a grant. Didn't really understand what I was doing, but the universe had my back. There was something greater than myself working through me because somehow I got this grant application in. Literally, it was due at 5 p.m. on June 1st. I got it in at like 4.59 p.m. in 45 (laughs) seconds. Did you get it? Did you get it? Yeah. So here's the cool thing. I had just no idea what was going to happen. So I don't know how they, they score and fund grants in Australia, but here I applied through the Florida Department of State 
through their art and culture individual artist program. So I asked for $25,000 because that was the maximum award for the individual artist program. So they had a Zoom meeting with all the artists in Florida who applied. There were 26 of us. And you had to sit through, they do the rubric. So the panel, there were six panel members. They had to go through all the applications, see what they liked and didn't like, and you're scored very specifically. And I was up number 25 of 26. So I had to sit there through four hours of other artists getting scored. And my heart was pounding the whole time. Even though I was on a Zoom meeting, I was like red in the face. My heart was pounding. My stomach was aching because I'm like, it was just so anxiety inducing. And so they got to me and I'm proud to say that my project scored one of the highest and I qualified for the $25,000 grant. Wow. And in Florida, how it works is that though it's approved, I have to wait until March of 2022 for legislature to sign off on it. And then the governor signs off. I am like, I can't say, I don't like talking about things ahead of time, but though I qualified Every year, sometimes even institutions and organizations who qualify don't get any funding, but I have confidence in it just because due to quarantine, there was like a mass exodus from a lot of states. A lot of people came to Florida. Tourism was was up at record highs this year and last year, and I know the funding is there Great. because of all the tourism and such. So. so how much do you need? How much do you actually need for this project to, to be finalized and to go ahead? Eighty thousand dollars. Eighty thousand. Wow. Eighty thousand dollars. And as I said, it's like it does sound shocking, but painters painters have it easy. You know, I'm not complaining <laughs> that I have the gift of photography, but I'm sure they're saying the same about photographers. <laughs> no, it's like with a, you know, my painter friend, they go get their you know Kansas spray paint or their whatever medium, their paint brushes and paint stand on a ladder. They do their thing. We have the middleman of the materials and the printer and the installers. And there's a cost to that. So because I am, you know, I'm not, I'm not putting up a few panels of art on a wall. I'm like literally installing on building walls and semi trucks. So there is quite a significant, I'm actually, I looked at several different industrial print companies and there's a company that I absolutely love. They do incredible work. They've installed buildings in New York city and sports stadiums and, you know, the massive fashion wallpaper you see in the malls, like they do huge installations. So I did get, after the project was approved two years ago, I did have them come down. They did a site survey and that's how I got my estimate. They came down and looked at all the surfaces and assessed what materials would go well, where that's how I came to the $80,000 need. So at this point I am almost halfway there. And yesterday our during, um, I don't know if you guys have Giving Tuesday, which comes after um, Cyber Monday. Not really, but yeah, I guess we're following along in the US's footsteps and, and copying a lot of what you guys are doing, but no, go on. Actually, Giving Tuesday, it's becoming universal. Giving Tuesday is where you can contribute and give. It's like a, a means of radical generosity throughout the world. And it's not about giving money. It's about just however you can direct your generosity. So I personally, it was hard for me to do because as I said, I'm, I'm bad with asking for money, but because I'm working for something bigger than myself, it's about the community of Immokalee. So I put on my Facebook page, I explained about the face of Immokalee, what I'm trying to achieve and how I'm, you know, it requires this significant budget. And I just 
said, if anyone's in a position to contribute, and I put a link to my fiscal sponsors page. And I had no expectations, but people were commenting, people were sharing it, people made donations. So I'm, not, I'm so extremely grateful for that. Amazing. Amazing. Um, Michelle, let me hit you with a few other questions here because I really want to get to the nitty gritty of a couple of points. First of all, did you or have you started photographing or do you wait till you have the $80,000 raised before you even start shooting? Oh, yes. I have started shooting. So I don't need money to shoot. Immokalee is an hour drive for me. So I go up there and I actually started shooting two years ago. Oh, wow. That's how I got my initial portraits to make the renditions. And then needless to say, with, you know, COVID and quarantine, there was a whole entire year hiatus of not being able to shoot portraits. But I've been fundraising. I've been working on administration. I've been working on um, connecting with the media and planning shoots and such. And I actually am resuming. I have my first shoot up there coming up here soon. Excellent. You must have told Kristen some things about getting attention in the media or sending press release. What do you do there to get uh, get eyes on the project? Premium members of PhotoBiz Exposed hear more of the best photography business strategies from every guest. When do you think the faces of Immokalee will, you know, will be coming to life? So my guess, if this grant comes through in March that I'll be able to install the initial portion on the semi trucks by I'm hoping early spring. The beauty of the trucks is this, it's going to be like a mobile installation. So the trucks will be able to drive not only through the community of Immokalee, but all throughout Naples and the, the coastal areas, like bringing the exhibition to people who aren't necessarily wanting or knowing or knew it existed. It's bringing the exhibition to everybody. Yeah, I love that. Well, you have to let us know when that becomes a reality because I'd love to follow up with you. In the meantime, where is the best place for the listener to see you know, see examples of all these photos that you've been talking about? On my website, michelletricka.com, and I'm also on Instagram, michelletricka. Okay, and then you're also on Facebook as well, Instagram. And you've got multiple Instagram accounts, so I'll link to all those in the show notes so people can see examples of the photos that we've been talking about awesome michelle this has been fascinating i'm so happy for you i love that you were able to come on and share what you have i love hearing from a photographer that is pursuing photography for other reasons other than purely for money you know you really are an artist and i think it's so important that we hear from people like you on the podcast as well because so many of us got into photography for more more reasons than just generating an income so it's um you know i absolutely love what you had to share today so look again thank you so much Thank you so much. And I think it's important to just be open to opportunities as an image maker. I agree. I agree. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Michelle as much as I did. I hope you come away inspired with ideas about your own photography projects with new limits on how big you can go with these kinds of projects. And if you do have any takeaways, any ideas, anything that springs to mind that you would love to pursue as a result of what you heard from Michelle, I'd love to hear about it. Let me know in the comments area at the bottom of the show notes, which you'll find this week over at photobizx.com forward slash 451. Now in those show notes, in addition to the comments area at the bottom, I've got links to anything and everything that Michelle mentioned. I've got examples of her work, the images that we're talking about or referencing in the interview. It's all there in that one spot. 
And of course, if you are a premium member, I'll be adding Michelle into the members Facebook group. So if you have any follow-up questions for her, you can hit her up inside the group. And if there's a question you feel I should have asked that I just didn't, again, you can put those to her inside the members Facebook group. And Michelle, if you are listening, thank you again so much for coming on and sharing everything you did. I'm looking forward to following along, hearing about the success of your big projects and seeing them come to life in 2022. So please stay in touch and let us know how that all plays out. I've got two big shout outs for today's episode. The first one goes to Windsor and Ascot pet dog photographer, Chris Miller in the UK. Chris left a wonderful five-star rating and a review inside Google. He says, and I'm paraphrasing here, that PhotobizX is not just a podcast. It's the most helpful community of photographers all trying to support each other with ideas, tips, and experience. He goes on to say that it is undoubtedly the best photography podcast there is, and as good as the free podcast is, and it's a great way to start. He says the paid-for premium membership gives so much extra information, it's truly worth the small investment. It's a game-changer. So thank you so much, Chris, for taking the time to leave that rating and review. I really do appreciate it, and it does help other photographers find the podcast. My second big shout-out goes to Karina Lee. She's a province-based wedding photographer. I should say province in France, yes. She is a French-based photographer, originally from the US. She set up shop in France, and after reading her review, we've touched base, and I'm hoping to meet up with Karina when I'm in France in July this year and hopefully to record an interview as well after I heard so much about her fantastic business. Anyway, (laughs) Karina says in her five-star Apple podcast review that she's been listening to the podcast for several years and it's the one and only photography podcast she truly enjoys listening to year in and year out. She goes on to say some other lovely things including listening to the podcast is a joy. It's like reconnecting with a dear colleague and friend and then being privy to some of the best experts in the photography field today. Such a lovely review. Karina, thank you so much for taking the time to do that and I really am looking forward to catching up. Hopefully we can get you onto a bike so you can come cycling with us up the mighty Mont Ventoux in Provence in July. That will be fantastic. And I promise not to record the interview while we're on the cycling trip. <laughs> uh, for you, the listener, if you are looking for backlinks to help with your SEO, a really simple way to do that is to leave an honest review in Apple iTunes, on Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, simply leave a review for the Photo BizX podcast. Let me know that you've done that. Let me know the keyword phrase that you're looking to rank for, and I'll use that for the anchor text as I link to your website. It's my little way to say thanks for taking the time to leave these reviews. And I've done exactly that for both Karina and Chris in today's episode show notes. And you can see them at photobizx.com forward slash 451. So you can see exactly what I'm talking about when I'm utilizing the keyword phrases anchor text to link to the reviewers' websites. It's really, really simple and does help with your SEO. You're listening to the number one photography business podcast with Andrew Helmich, photobizx.com. Just before we close out today's episode of the podcast, I received some really sad news this morning about Gina Militia. 
She is a fellow podcaster, Australian photographer. She has the So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast. She has listeners and fans all around the world. I heard this morning that she passed away, which I, I'm just totally shocked about. Uh, yeah, surprised. Uh, doesn't even cover how I felt when I, when I read the news from a couple of Photo BizX listeners. I don't have many details. I do know that pneumonia was involved. Uh, I don't know anything else about that, whether there were complications or whatever. But I do, I do know or I did read that she's been struggling with uh, this pneumonia for a couple of weeks. And, um, it, it, it's, uh, yeah, she succumbed to it uh, yesterday by the sound of it, which is just, just terrible. She will be sadly missed by me, by all her photography friends, podcast listeners, people that she's helped in business and obviously her family i know she has a husband and kids and yeah what a what a terrible loss um so so sad so yeah i don't i don't have any other news apart from that um yeah it's just terrible i've interviewed gina a, a couple of times in the podcast uh, i've spoken to her numerous times on the phone she helped me when i was planning my trip to india uh, linda and i when we were planning our trip to india yeah, um, I'm a big fan of hers, and uh, yeah, she'll she'll be truly, truly missed. I hate to um, to end the podcast on such a sad note, but um, that that is it for today's episode of the podcast. Again, big thanks to Michelle Tricker for coming on and sharing everything she did. I am going to finish recording this intro and outro. I'm going to head out for a walk with Linda. We're going to take a walk into Terrigal. I'll come back, do the edits, get this podcast uploaded and available to you wherever you listen to your podcast. So have a fantastic week wherever you are in the world. Stay safe, healthy and well. Take a moment to, to think about Gina, her family, life, your family and um, yeah, how, how lucky we are to be, to be here, be where we are and, and doing what we're doing. All righty, have a great week and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. enjoyed this episode head to photobizx.com join the conversation leave a comment and share your thoughts on the interview with andrew and today's special guest